it needs to be said clear and straight, in my judgment, and that is that the provincial government is simply using people's understandable need for housing as a way in which to enrich their friends in the land development industry who've now bought land, and some of them bought land in the Greenbelt, some of them just bought the land just before, about a year ago. So there's a kind of corruption going on here as well. Hello. Thank you so much for checking out Earth Care, the interview series that's dedicated to understanding the ways we can care for the Earth and each other. I'm your host, Sarah Christie, and I'm on a mission to make climate change an approachable and not so overwhelming conversation for everyone. On this podcast, we meet climate heroes, activists, experts, entrepreneurs, and get their take on how we can help save the planet. And during this episode, we're learning how to do that as individuals who don't have political control, but want to see positive change from the government. David Crombie, a politician, consultant, and if you're from Toronto, you might know him as Toronto's tiny perfect mayor, serving as mayor from 1972 to 1978. His time as mayor has been famously described as the first time the city's biggest developers weren't in charge of planning. And after learning about his decorated career, that's just a taste of his public concern for people and the environment. He was a commissioner with the Royal Commission on the Future of the Toronto Waterfront, a founding chair on the Waterfront Regeneration Trust, and in May of 2004, he received the Order of Canada. Additionally, David served as chair of the Greenbelt Council here in Ontario before a remarkable resignation in 2020. Why did he resign? It was a significant message and warning to what's currently happening in Ontario three years later. An article in the Toronto Star from December 2020 reads, the chair of Doug Ford's Greenbelt Council has resigned over the province's plans to push forward legislation next week that will limit the ability of conservation authorities to assess the environmental impact of developments and will force them to issue permits on environmentally sensitive lands across the province. So, two years later, This past December, and while the office was on holidays, according to an investigation done by the Narwhal, the Ontario government gave municipalities and conservation authorities just three days' notice that they'd be removing many of the powers and financial tools that they use to protect vital watersheds and enforce regulations. And why is that a problem? Doug Ford is trying to build on the Greenbelt, home to protected land, wetlands, vital watersheds, like we mentioned, over 70 endangered species. And David Crombie was ringing the alarm bells on this over two years ago. In fact, during his resignation, he said, to say that you are not touching the green belt means that you don't understand watershed planning, land use planning, and what conservation authorities have been doing for the past 30 years. I couldn't be more honored to have him as a guest on EarthCare to speak about, first of all, what makes the Greenbelt so special? Why do we need it? What Bill 23 and the More Homes Built Faster Act have to do with the Greenbelt? And what can we as individuals do to help? Because something this big, it's very easy to feel voiceless and helpless. But we get into it. How can we keep hands off the Greenbelt? Here it is, my EarthCare conversation with David Crombie. Here in Ontario, we have a green belt, and because of the provincial Ford government, the green belt is currently under threat. Now, I'm going to make a broad assumption here and say that until the green belt started making headline news, I don't think a lot of us realized 
just how significant it was. We knew that we had a green belt. We knew that it was important, but we didn't really know the full purpose that it served, you know, and not just for the nature and the species living within it, but, you know, for us humans here in Ontario as well, which is truly why I couldn't be more grateful to have you as a guest on EarthCare to speak about this. David Crombie, politician, consultant, former chair of the Greenbelt Council. Thank you so much for sharing your time with EarthCare. Glad to be here, sir. I really am. I'm hoping we can just start by painting the picture of what makes the Greenbelt so special. You know, when it comes to environmental protection, what benefits is it serving to people and planet? Okay. Uh, first of all, the dimensions. It's, a, it, it's actually two million acres. Uh, about two, two million acres. That's the largest green belt in the world. Wow. Okay. Uh, and it brings economic benefits to the tune of about almost $10 billion. Uh, and, and because people don't see it that way, but that, that's, what, that's what it does. Because what it does provide is both agricultural and ecological benefits. And, and both are, are absolutely essential to our way of life. And so, for example, if we're concerned about water quality, then you should be worried about the ecology of the green belt. If you're worried about climate change and whether or not we're climate resilient, then agriculture and and uh, and ecological value in in the green belt is important to that. Absolutely important to to the thriving local economy of of, of small cities, large cities, small towns, villages, even. Uh, so it's it's got a, a strong economic benefit. Uh, in two thousand and five, the provincial government decided to put that belt around Toronto, which basically goes from the Niagara Peninsula down Lake Erie, all the way north uh, to uh, the Bruce Peninsula. And it, and it goes from way over by Gray and Bruce County uh, over to Prince Edward. So it's an enormous size, but and it's a belt around it, but it provides all of those agricultural uh, and ecological benefits. And if you think about it, these days, even more than ever before, um, uh, the ability to have quality agricultural land and to have functioning, really functioning ecologically sound uh, places, that's really important for the future. So in 2005, the provincial government of the day uh, under Premier McGuinty began to organize, a little earlier than that, they began to organize the belt. Now, to get a sense of it, and, and here I should make a point. It wasn't simply one political party or just at, simply at one time. So the, the major chunks of the belt are the Niagara Peninsula, the Oak Ridges Moraine, which is the northern part of it, except for the Bruce, but along the whole north part of it, which, which is kind of a, a rain barrel for the Toronto, greater Toronto area. Uh, and uh, that though, those are connected to create what, what the... the that clever people called a bioregion. And a bioregion is a naturally ordered thing. So if you look at how water flows, well, water flows downhill. And it flows downhill from the Niagara Peninsula uh, and, and, and certainly from the Oak Ridges Marine down to the lake. And just uh, four years ago, they added 23 river valleys coming from the, the, the Oak Ridges Marine down to the lake, Lake Ontario uh, and, and Lake Erie. So it's a, it's a large piece of land and, and, and it's been treated, therefore, for those who pay attention to it with great respect. So they, they, they started that plan. The uh, Niagara Escarpment was, was sort of uh, a commission was set up in, in, uh, in 1983 by a Tory government. The rest of it, the Oak Ridge Moraine, so was set up in the Green Plan in 2005 by a Liberal government. And in 2000, 
six, they created a thing known as the growth plan. You should see the green plan and the growth plan together because what they do is provide you with an opportunity that brings the issues of ecology, economy, and community together. Right. Wow. Okay. So when when the current government decided that they were just going to crash in uh, and, and, and take 7,400 acres, 7,400 acres, doesn't sound like much, a large chunk because on much of it on class A agricultural land, the best agricultural land that you can find. Um, and so the wreckage that it's causing is that it's, it's trashing the uh, agricultural and ecological value of the place and setting up more and more for land speculation that you'll begin to unravel the whole of the Greenbelt. That's what's at stake. And that's why there are lots of old people and young people and middle people uh, all trying to get there saying, we are going to try and stop this. Right. So, wow. So that's that's Bill 23 or More Homes Built Faster Act, which is, I think, what uh, majority of the listeners will recognize more so than Bill 23. So um, how are these connected to the green belt? Well, the, what, the, what the government wants, what the government is saying is we have a housing problem and we need to go into the green belt and get land to build housing. That's what the government's saying. Two things to remember. First of all, they're absolutely right. We need more and more affordable, which they don't spend a lot of time on, but then we have not only more housing, but more affordable housing. We need lots of it. The second thing to remember is that it's not a problem of lack of land. We don't need more land. There's lots of land in the area we're talking about for enough housing for a very, very long time inside, uh, uh, inside the already urban boundaries of, say, Pickering and Ajax. And also, there's lots of land just outside of it, not in the Greenbelt, is still available. That's why the, the government's own task force, the government's own task force said that the need for housing does not raise a question of needing more land. There's lots of land available. That's why it needs to be said clear and straight, that, that in my judgment, and that is that the provincial government is simply using people's understandable need for housing as a way in which to enrich their friends in the land development industry who've now bought land. And some of them bought land in the Greenbelt. Some of them just bought the land just before, about a year ago. So there's a kind of corruption going on here as well. Well, I mean, I'll speak to that as I'm in that boat that's growing rapidly of the group of people who feel like forever renters because that dream of owning a home is just going further and further away. And, you know, you hear this, what more homes are being built faster? And then you look deeper and realize, well, actually, there, there's a higher chance of my house flooding if I go buy a house over there because it's on the green belt. And um, no, 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 for sure. But I, it should be clear, and I have to keep repeating this for people, Sarah, the argument that it's needed for housing is untrue. It's 100% that they need land in the Greenbelt. There's lots of land uh, in already urban areas and areas outside of the, of the Greenbelt that are available as well, and their own task force told them that. So they're, they're playing uh, another game, an autre jeu. Yeah. Well, this past week, as we record the interview, there was an article shared. Uh, it was a collaborative investigation from the Narwhal and the Star uh, that yeah. revealed that the power was stripped from conservation authorities over the Christmas break. Well, you know, we were all celebrating the holidays. Um, 
and they gave them three days notice. But you have been warning us about this for years. Two years ago, you warned in a statement and you said essential public discussion and debate will be stifled and shut down through this bill. And so this might sound like a silly question, but I really just want to drive home what this means. And, you know, there's truly not a more equipped person to speak about this. But how do conservation authorities enhance the protection of the Greenbelt? Well, conservation authorities' job uh, is to ensure that our natural assets, uh, river valleys, water, air, uh, all of that stuff, that they pay attention to that and making sure they've done so for 75 years now, 76 years. No, let me um, In 1946, the provincial government of the day, as a conservative government, by the way, brought in uh, uh, the Planning Act and the Conservation Act. And that gave birth to the conservation authorities and the Planning Act. So you can see even then, years ago, that, that planning and environment were two sides of the same coin. And so the Conservation Authority was uh, was established, a number of them right across, about 30 of them, across the province to ensure that environmental conditions, environmental concerns were built into planning. This government does not believe that. It just believes what it wants to believe, and that is that the important thing for them, at, at any rate, is the building of the communities and nothing to do with the environment. That that has, we, we, it's almost inexplicable that they don't understand the connection. They say they do, but they don't act that way. So, what are some of the big environmental risks here? As we, I know you, I know you touched on it earlier, um, and said kind of if we start building, what does that evolve into? But uh, what are some of, more of the environmental risks? Well, the environmental risks are dealing with the quality and quantity of water. That's why conservation authorities deal with flooding and that kind of stuff. Uh, it has to do with our ability to deal with climate change and be more resilient in climate change. It has to do with a growing economy. Agriculture is part of this. So if you note, people will note in the paper that the prices of food have gone up. People are now concerned around the world of the, of the old supply chains that we needed depended on for food from around the world. And therefore, more and more people understand the value of having agricultural land available locally. Right. Well, they're building. The provincial government is wanting to build on that land. So it's a big danger at any rate from, from our perspective to not only the things I just mentioned ecologically, but for agriculture and food security and food productivity as well. So if I'm following along correctly, because there's there is a huge economic factor here, which you've been speaking about, but we hear other politicians coming forward. Uh, Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie has also, you know, been outspoken in how this is going to locally affect the cost of municipalities. That seems to be kind of what you're you're touching on there as well. If I'm following correctly, no, no, it is. It's called sprawl. Uh, think about it. If you're going to build housing. And, and you only have sort of 50 and 75 foot lots, then the cost of being able to service that is so much greater. So you need to have more housing that is what more dense, as it were. So having duplexes and triplexes and four-story buildings, we need more of those, or six-story buildings. We need more of those. If you go around the streets of, well, I can take you to, I'm sure, to St. Catharines. Uh, if you go around Toronto, for sure, I could take you to neighborhoods where there, you'll see on the corner, you'll see around the corner, four four-story walk-up buildings. That, that, that's what we need more of those. 
don't mean you don't have any single family dwelling. You have lots of it. 70% of our housing is in single family dwelling. We need to have more uh, of more of what they call gently, gentle density. That is to say, mm. well, let me use my own place. No, I'm living with my daughter, right? She unfortunately was widowed uh, five years ago. Um, and she had two kids at the time. They're now uh, off the university. Uh, my wife's in long-term care and has been now for 14 years. So I was living down happily uh, on the waterfront uh, at, uh, on Front Street uh, by church, a uh, lovely place. And But it made sense when my daughter was now looking, she said, what does she do with the place? So to make a long story short, my daughter decided she would renovate the main floor where she is, where I live, and she lives on the second floor. Her kids, when they're in town, are on the third floor, and she rents out the basement, which she renovated as well, to, to the concert, uh, the, uh, the Conservatory of Music. Oh, wow. Okay, now this is an old house. The lot is only, uh, what, uh, 18 feet wide, and the house is 110 years old. Wow. Okay, now that's density, okay? Yeah. Now, that's not for everybody, but you, you need enough choice in the housing that allows you to have single family dwelling, small density, high density. You need all of that. You need one other thing, and particularly for new generation. You need to have the damn stuff affordable, <laughs> yeah. right? And so what they have not paid attention to is how do you make it more and more affordable? And there are programs, and that takes some provincial government and the federal government and so on, a lot of programs. A generation ago, when I was more involved, we built St. Lawrence. I don't know if you know the St. Lawrence neighborhood. Right. Down by the market. That's that's a lot. 10,000 people live there. Okay. Now, that you don't need that for every, but you need that kind of stuff. The diversity of housing to make it affordable is really important. That can be done. So now, I mean, maybe I'm reading the wrong articles here, but when I'm reading about it, it's uh, increased property taxes. It's, it's you know, increased prices for municipalities and and it's homes that are at risks and my, at risk of, of flooding. And, and my mind immediately goes to, and this is probably a conversation for another day, but all the climate refugees that Ontario is expected to um, welcome, you know, in, as we move forward and deeper into a climate crisis, but then where does the onus go? Does it go on the real estate agent to explain to them where these houses are built? You know, well, how are they selling this as a positive thing? Well, no, I don't, I don't blame anybody for whatever they're doing. Put as positive a spin on it as you, as you can, right? Yeah. Uh, that, I don't blame develop, the development industry. Some people do. I don't. The responsibility lies in the democratic society with the elected council or the commons or the legislature. Right. That's where the that's where the tussle between need and greed and all of that stuff, all the other human things come in, into play and create po those policies that you, after public debate, public discussion, you agree on those policies. The democratic process is what we need. And I'll note that the current provincial government just, has just been arrogantly moving in and doing things with no public debate. Just doing it. So. Um, how do you fix it? How do you, how do you deal with all of those complexities? Luckily, we live in a democratic society, and you should be doing it with the political system, because that brings everybody into it. Right. And then you you have the public debate, and everybody has to figure out how much they they can give, how much they need, 
and then you have a, a public discussion and a vote. That's it's a public discussion. So that's when when the province decides it's not going to have any public discussion, they're taking away our opportunity to have a solution that's congenial to more people. Yeah, that's when it gets quite disheartening, you know, to see from afar. But you know, I I think they're. I'd like to think that individual action makes a difference. You know, investigations are happening. Organizations are attempting to take the the Ford government to court over this bill. But what would your advice be to individuals? What can we do that are just all fired up and want to help? No, no. I'm I, listen on Tuesday uh, of, of next next week. I'm involved with a group of people. I chair a thing called the the uh, uh, Friends of the Golden Horseshoe. But we now have about 140 organizations. We're all coming together on Tuesday to form what's known, what we're calling an alliance, uh, an alliance, and it's an attempt to bring an umbrella group, a, 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 a big tent, for all of the other organizations, large and small, who are concerned with these matters. Within that context, we're going to keep, we in a sense, going to go to, I won't call it a war with the government, but they're going to hear from us. And they're going to hear from us on a regular basis and not just i don't mean some central body there are lots and lots of lots of organizations that will belong to the alliance we're calling it uh, the alliance for a livable ontario so that's one thing how do people help get involved i mean anybody can complain uh, it doesn't take much but it just takes time and energy and you'll find that you might enjoy being involved in that in, in, in those kinds of endeavors yeah, absolutely. I uh, these conversations are heavy, and they can they can really you know ruin your day when you start to read deep into the news. But to know you're around like-minded people that are all fighting for the same end goal, it's it's so energizing and so hopeful. It really is. And people, I've now seen it through three or four generations. I have great grandchildren, uh, and and I can tell you, once people get into it and feel that they can make a difference, then it, there's there's an elation that comes with it. Well, I can't tell you how grateful I am that you took time on your Saturday morning to uh, join EarthCare and have this conversation. I have been so excited about it. Um, so thank you so much for being on EarthCare. Sarah, nice, nice for you to say that. And I really enjoyed myself. You take care of yourself. Thank you so much for listening to EarthCare and letting this podcast be a part of your day. Since you made it this far, here's a little sneak peek into the conversation we're having next week. The curvy shopper has to e-shop so much. The unfortunate footprint, the carbon footprint that that applies to. But if stores would just put us in their store, I would go to the store. Until then, don't forget to hit follow or subscribe, whatever that button is on the device that you're listening to this episode on. Then you'll know when new episodes are out. And hey, if you have time, leave a review, message me with a review. I would love to know what's on your mind, what's been clicking with you, and what topics you'd like to learn more about. Those are also a really big help when it comes to gathering more interviews. So I truly do appreciate that. We can also connect online at EarthCare Show on Instagram and TikTok and EarthCareShow.com for more information. I'm Sarah Christie, and the goal of this podcast is to get us talking about climate change. So let's chat.